Today we'll be talking about uh, the habit of Bible reading. This is just a one-off sermon. Um, you know, in a few weeks, if you, if you want to plan ahead, we're going to start a new sermon series going through the book of Ecclesiastes, which I'm excited about. Um, I don't know if I have personally ever been a part of a, an Ecclesiastes sermon series, but it is one of my favorite books of the Bible. Uh, but I'm, we're talking about the habit of Bible reading today. You know, for many of us, during this time of the year, New Year's Eve, uh, it's a time of reflection and resolution. Uh, we reflect on what happened over the past year, how we lived our lives, and, um, and then we resolve to make changes. Uh, we call them New Year's resolutions sometimes, and uh, in the hopes that next year will play out in better ways. And so we do this sort of self-evaluation thing. How do we spend our time? How do we spend our money? How do we, what sort of relationships do we have? Are these worth investing in? And are these answers to these questions, you know, is our score, is essentially, does it line up with our goals in life? And so today's message is sort of in that light. But let's pray, and then uh, we'll dive in. Father God, thank you so much for this time. Thanks for this chance you've given us to uh, be with one another, to praise you, to reflect on you, and to sh uh, share our lives with one another, and to share your work in our lives with one another. We thank you for this chance to uh, hear your word and to, um, yeah, to meditate on it. And I pray that uh, regardless of what happened in 2023, whether at the personal level or at the global level, um, you would help us to internalize what you want for us to take away from this year and what you want for us to carry into the new year, and also what things you want us to shed from this past year to release so that we can go into the new year unhindered. We thank you and pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Um, the British novelist Charles Reed, old guy lived a long time ago, he once said, sow an act and you reap a habit. Sow a habit and you reap a character. Sow a character and you reap a destiny. Um, we make thousands of decisions every day, some at the subconscious level, sub at the some at the conscious level, some very insignificant, some more significant. And while each decision, if you look at it on its own, it may not seem to have huge implications, collectively the combination of all those decisions are significant. You know, one drop of water flowing down a hill is not very significant. But if you put a lot of these drops of water together, then you have rivers with the ability to carve out canyons. And so one decision isn't a big deal, but one decision made over and over, drawn out over a long period of time, actually does become a big deal. And I think the same thing applies when we think about reading the Bible. You know, reading the Bible on our own just a single day, just for 10 minutes, it may not seem very significant. You just you know, you internalized some words. Maybe you don't feel any different. Maybe you don't learn anything new. But if you make it a habit of reading the Bible, if you read the Bible regularly and daily, bit by bit, over time, then your character will change and then your destiny will change. Joshua 1.8 says, Keep this book of the law always on your lips. Meditate on it day and night so that you may be careful to do everything written in it. Then you'll be prosperous and successful. So in this verse, God is telling the people of Israel to meditate on the law, on their essentially Bible equivalent, day and night. It's not something that they just read one time just so they know what it says 
or listen to one time here and or it's not something they just pick up here and there whenever they have free time but it is a daily activity twice a day activity day and night they meditate on this bible and another way to think about it is this is a habit this is something when you do something regularly it's a habit let's talk a little bit about habits all right what is a habit a habit is just something that you regularly do but here's the thing about habits what we do shapes who we are what we do shapes who we are and so maybe you know the saying maybe you said the saying you are what you eat and the idea you know it, it refers to food and so if you eat a lot of healthy food you'll be a healthy person and if you eat a lot of unhealthy food you'll be an unhealthy person i have slightly high col uh, cholesterol and so i need to work on that but anyways your words uh, i'm sorry your uh your habits your routine your activity those things determine the kind of person you become and so we all have habits, all right? So, for example, maybe you go to the gym every week or three times a week. That's a habit. Or maybe you buy groceries every Sunday. Maybe you eat dinner with your family every night. So these are all habits. And all of these habits, they shape what kind of person you become. And there are also unhealthy habits. Maybe you get drunk by yourself every Saturday night. That can be a habit. Maybe you pull all-nighters every time you have a major exam. You don't sleep. That can be a habit. Maybe you lie awake every night on your phone for hours and uh, before you go to sleep. So all those habits also shape who you become. And here's the thing about habits, you know, sometimes we choose our habits and sometimes our habits choose us. Or put it another way, sometimes we have intentional habits, habits that we choose and nourish and develop over time. And there are unintentional habits, habits that we just sort of fall into and we don't choose them. It's just we're not careful with our time. And before we know it, we're, we're doing this thing over and over without realizing it. And so if you pause and you look at your life, um, you may look at your habits. You might be able to... intentional habits to replace some of our unintentional habits because whether our habits are intentional or not we're always being shaped by them and it's a continual cycle because not only do our habits shape who we are but then because we've been shaped by our habits we're more likely to do those same habits in the future so who we are also determines our habits so here's this little diagram all right so your identity who you are determines your habits what you do and then your habits, because you do this over and over, it reaffirms or reinforces who you are. So let's think about being a healthy person, all right? So because you're healthy, you think you are a healthy person, in order to enforce the idea you're a healthy person, you eat healthy foods. And because you eat healthy foods, you become more healthy as a result. And so it's a cycle. It's a positive self-reinforcing cycle. Well, let's think about this. Uh, let's say you're a lazy person. Okay, if you're a lazy person, that's your identity. Let's say you sleep in a little bit on Saturday because you think it's not, it's not a big deal to sleep in every now and then. Anyways, um, you're stuck potentially in a negative self-reinforcing cycle. All right, okay, here's another diagram. This is how our Christian faith works, all right? Before we become Christians, we are sinners, that's our identity. 
We're children of wrath, all right? And we sin. That's our habit. We have sinful behavior. And our identity as sinners causes us to engage in sinful habits. And because we are engaging in sinful habits, we are reinforcing our identity as sinners. All right, so how do we break out? Well, the gospel says that there is another cycle out there, and we have been given a new identity. We are born again. We are new creations. Now we're followers of Jesus. And as followers of Jesus, we have new habits. We have spiritual habits, like we read the Bible, we meet with other Christians, we pray, we give financially, we love, we forgive. These are spiritual habits that we develop. And then these spiritual habits, the more we do these habits, the more reinforces our identity as followers of Jesus. All right, so how do we get from one side to the other side? Let's say you're stuck in this sinner's uh, cycle. How do we get from one side to the other side? I think it, it's just, the plain answer is you just do the habits. All right, you just do the habits. You know, um, C.S. Lewis, in his book, Mere Christianity, he, write, he has this chapter called Let's Pretend, and it's fascinating, and he's talking about um, how kids, when they're learning new skills, what they do is they just pretend to do the things they don't know how to do, and they keep pretending until they do it. So it's like, they look at grown-ups and they go, oh, these, these people over here, they, they seem like they can make noises with their mouth and understand each other. Okay, let me just try doing that. So they pretend like they can do it, and soon enough they're talking. Or like these grown-ups, you know what, they get faster, they get to places faster because they're walking. So let me just try to pretend, to, and then they, they do it. And so it's the similar concept with, you know, growing spiritually is when you start out as a follower of Jesus, you don't know squat, you can't do really anything. And, but what you do is you just pretend like you can do these things. You just live, you, you force yourself to do these things that are not what's natural to you, that's unnatural to you. You break out of your habit, you do these spiritual habits, and as you start to do these things, these things reinforce your new identity, your, 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 your identity as a follower of Jesus. And what happens is, I mean, we always have that identity, but it's theoretical and it's abstract. But the more you participate in these spiritual habits, the more you disrupt your cycle of sin, and the more you reinforce this idea that you are actually a follower of Jesus and you're a new creation. And then that's when you enter into this positive spiritual cycle and that's when you start to change you know so there's a lot we can say about habits but you know i want to focus a little bit about bible reading and i'm thinking about bible reading in particular because you know around this time of the year a lot of folks they do this one year bible reading plans and so uh a week from now it's going to be too late but we haven't started yet so you can start today or tomorrow if you only have one day off and then you start tomorrow but let's read deuteronomy 6 6 through 9 this is Moses talking to the people of Israel, and I think this principle applies to us as well. He says, These commandments that I give you today are to be on your hearts, and press them on your children. Talk about them when you sit at home, and when you walk along the road, when you lie down, when you get up. Tie them as symbols on your hands, and bind them on your foreheads. Write them on the door frames of your houses and on your gates. And so Moses, he's talking to his people, and he's telling them to constantly remind themselves of what they believe. Teach these beliefs, talk about these beliefs, write these beliefs in all these places, on your body, and on your, these signs, so that you regularly come across them. Why? Because these beliefs are not just things for your mind. These things need to become instilled into your whole being 
so that they become habits. Because here's the thing, you know, we're always being immersed in competing beliefs or competing narratives. Whether subconsciously or consciously, we're always soaking in theology, soaking in doctrine, whether true or false, all around us. And, um, you know, we're always being bombarded by these narratives. So here's some, some examples of narratives, all right? So let's say people don't think you're smart, all right? So you need to prove that you're smart. And so you do all these things. You do well in school, you get a good job, you make a lot of money so that people think you're smart. So that's a narrative. This is a narrative that we get thrown at, you know, people throw at us sometimes, okay? So here's another one. You are unloved and you're lonely. So you need friends or you need a boyfriend or a girlfriend or you need a spouse. You need fill in the blank. You need something so that you won't be unloved or alone. Well, here's another one. So the, our, our government is failing us. Our government is horrible. There's so many problems in our society. And so you need, a, you need to be a political activist. You need to fight. You need to uh, advocate. You need to vote. You need to do all these things to get so-and-so elected into office. Then we'll have a government with the best interest in mind. So the, all these are narratives that we are fed every single day. And all of these narratives, they have a plot. It's like a story, right? They have a plot, they have a problem, they have a solution, and they have a role for you to, to fill. You are part of this plot, and you can, if you do these things, you do these habits, then you can help advance the cause of this plot. And uh, maybe it's through TV shows, maybe it's through social media feeds, maybe it's through conversations with our friends. We're always hearing these narratives. And these narratives, they tell us what our identity is, and they tell us what our habits should be. And many of these narratives are true narratives. Many of these narratives are narratives we should be participating in. But, so, so obviously it's not wrong to get married or to vote or to make money, things like that. Oh, we should be participating in these things, but these narratives are not primary. These narratives are not the most fundamental narratives to our lives. They're not ultimate. And so what happens is if we are mainly exposed to one narrative, and that's the primary message we hear, then we will think that this narrative is the most important narrative of our lives when actually it's not. And that's when we will spend most of our time involved in certain habits that are not spiritual habits dedicating us toward the most important narrative. So check out what Paul writes. This is 2 Timothy 4, 2-4. Paul says, Preach the word, be prepared in season and out of season, correct, rebuke and encourage with great patience and careful instruction. And catch this, For the time will come when people will not put up with sound doctrine. Instead, to suit their own desires, they will gather around them a great number of teachers to say what their itching ears want to hear. They will turn their ears away from the truth and turn aside to myths. So we all have itching ears, all right? This is just what it means to be a human being. We all have itching ears. We all long to hear things, hear narratives that tell us who we are and what to do, and so that we have a role to play in these narratives. We all look for things to believe. We all look for narratives to belong to. That's human nature. And so what Paul says is, preach the word in season and out of season. And essentially, uh, this is one way to think about it. Having itching ears is not the problem. All right. There's nothing wrong with wanting to hear something good. For uh, nothing wrong with wanting to hear what is out there, what we can do to participate in what's out there. The question is, will you satisfy your itching ears with the narrative of the gospel 
or will you satisfy your itching ears with something else? Because if you're not regularly hearing the gospel, then you will latch on to something else as your primary narrative. But if you are regularly hearing the gospel, then you will be freed up from the need to pursue anything else. In other words, the way we resist all these competing narratives is by re regularly reminding ourselves of the biblical narrative, the gospel narrative, which happens most fundamentally by reading the Bible. And I also want to point out the order of this passage in 2 Timothy. Paul's not saying, he's not saying, hey, these people are going astray. You need to preach the word to them. He says, you need to preach the word to them preemptively. If you don't, they will go astray. So that order is really important because I think that's a good word for us. If we uh, don't read the Bible preemptively, then we will go astray. So the Bible is not like a pill that you take after you've gotten sick. It is like a vaccine. It is something that you take before you get sick to prevent you from getting sick. You know how some people, um, they never floss until like the week before they go to a dentist, all right? Raise your hand. Just kidding. Anyways, that's how some people read the Bible, all right? They, they just do it when they have to do it, when it's like, you know, when, when the occasion calls for it. Otherwise, they don't read the Bible. Um, but that's the other way. That's, they have it backwards. You've got to read the Bible preemptively before, without even knowing anything that will come up. Um, I love this quote by Jen Wilkin. She writes this, For years, I viewed my interaction with the Bible as a debit account. I had a need, so I went to the Bible to withdraw an answer. But we do much better to view our interaction with the Bible as a savings account. I stretch my understanding daily, I deposit what I glean, and I patiently wait for it to accumulate in value, knowing that one day I will need to draw on it. I love that analogy. Reading the Bible is kind of like saving money. And, uh, you know, here's the thing with saving money. When, when emergencies happen and you have no money in the bank, that's when you get desperate and you make dumb decisions. All right, that's when you become afraid and anxious. And... But if you save money gradually over time, without a specific plan for how will I, you know, it's not like you are planning to spend the money for a new roof or something. You're just saving the money, accumulating wealth. Then when emergencies happen, you have the resources to draw upon. You have the resources stored up in the bank so that you won't become anxious and afraid and you won't make dumb decisions. And so we cannot only read the Bible when we're in a crisis we will find that our spiritual bank account is empty. We need to regularly read the Bible to build up our spiritual savings so that when a crisis occurs, we can draw upon the knowledge that we have accumulated. Or to put it another way, when we are regularly reading the Bible, then the gospel narrative will be so strong, so clear in our minds, that no matter what other narratives the world throws at you, you can still stand firm and what you know to be true, and you can take everything with a grain of salt. And everything else won't replace your biblical narrative, it will just complement your biblical narrative. Therefore, we need to regularly read the Bible in order to provide us with this compelling narrative, to disrupt our cycle of sin, to ground us in our cycle of our new identity. And so that's sort of the, the big picture stuff. So how do we do that? Okay, let's, I wanna get a little bit practical. Um, because, you know, some of us, we try to make time to do it, we don't. You know, some of us, we, uh, we try to do it, but we don't get much out of it. 
And, uh, and you know, a lot of these sort of sermons, I don't know about you, but when I listen to these sort of sermons, I just sort of put this in the box of like, oh, there's another thing that I don't do very well. Well, I want to try again tomorrow, but I know I'm going to fail anyway. So what do we do? Okay, so here's some practical tips. These are not magic bullets, but these are just four quick things, all right? Take little steps. Um, sometimes I think we shoot ourselves in the feet when we make lofty goals. All right, you know, a few months ago, we got a gym membership, a family gym membership, and, uh, you know, I went to the gym here and there, and the gym membership came with somebody who's going to show me how all the machines work and stuff. And so I met up with this guy, and he was ex-military. He was uh, super ripped, and he was very, um, he was just very orderly and just very organized, and, uh, he was like, he was very like, this is how this machine works, and you make sure to do this, you don't do this, and this is this, and here's this table, you got to use this table, and, and when you do reps, you got to do this many reps, and then uh, let's write down how many reps you can do, and then you have to get 60 seconds. Oh, by the way, you need to buy a stopwatch, okay, because you have to do exactly 60 seconds, and then you just do those reps again. So he was going over all these things, and, um, and he, he took this sheet of paper, and he says, hey, here's this filing cabinet. I won't look at it, but you know, every time you come here, you need a, and you should come here at least three times a week. But every time you come here, you fill out the sheet, you put it in this filing cabinet, and I felt pretty inspired, but even more inspired, I felt overwhelmed and stressed out. And um, I think that's how sometimes, that's how some people feel when they read the Bible. Okay, they just feel like, here's this one-year Bible reading plan. So and so did it. Okay, this person can do it. I got to do it. And so they they go strong, and then they just they fail and they and they don't read the Bible for 11 months. All right, until the next New Year's resolution. And so, if you currently do zero Bible reading, like literally zero, all right, it may be difficult to read through the Bible in a year. And it's okay to be realistic about that. It's okay to say so and so is at this level, and I'm not. I'm at another level. All right. So, think of something that is more tangible. Don't be so over be so overwhelmed by these lofty goals. Think of something that you can do. You know, you know here's another example. You know, uh, when I was younger, uh, I would hear people all the time talk about how uh, they read the Bible in the morning. So it sets their heart in the right place for the rest of the day. And so for the longest time, I tried to read the Bible in the morning, and I just couldn't do it. I was always sleeping in. I was always rushing around. I was always late. I was always stressed out. I was always groggy, so I couldn't even retain what I was reading anyways. And so I just realized, oh, I'm, I'm not a morning person, why would I give the worst of my day to reading the Bible? You know, so I, I developed the habit of reading the Bible at night, you know, so try to figure out, try to figure out what works for you. Set maybe one or two specific times in the week to read the Bible, or just maybe before you go to bed at night, just read one verse, whatever, what is tangible that you can do? And then once you've got that down, then you can add more, all right? Here's another one, remove old habits. Um, you know, sometimes, you know, some of us, when we look at our schedule, we literally have no time. We're just so busy. Everything is packed end to end. And it's not, it's not like they're appointments back to back, but we're always doing something back to back. And so you might think, you know, I don't know how I'll find time to read the Bible. And so I just can't read the Bible. All right, so that's not the solution. Okay, solution, the solution is to go, what is taking up my time that I can get rid of, that I can replace? Because, you know, if you, if you have the habit already of doing 10 things a day, and these are habits, so they're hard to break. If you have the habit of 10 th doing 10 things a day, 
it's hard to stick another, an 11th thing onto that list of things to do because you're just, you don't have enough time in the day. You just, you're gonna cut back on less sleep or you're just gonna get stressed out with one of these other 10 things. And so a lot of people, they try to force the Bible in and it just doesn't work out so they just let the Bible drop. So I think what you gotta do is you have to make an intentional decision to say, what can I drop? It's not just about stuffing a new thing in, it's about replacing something that's old. And so, you know, one suggestion, you know, and I'm guilty of this, so I, this is something I need to think about for myself, whether I should do this or not. But, so some of us, we, we're on our phones late at night. We basically fall asleep on our phones, like it falls on our face, and then we fall asleep, right? And so, uh, sometimes, not all the time, when we're on our phones at night, it gives us negative emotions, all right? So we see what's, what so-and-so politician is doing, we feel frustrated, all right? We see... So-and-so uh, asking us to do something, texting us, oh, I forgot to do this thing. Oh, I feel anxious. I forgot to do this thing. Or we see, you know, so-and-so is going to Italy on vacation. I'm not in Italy, so I feel jealous. And so we have all these negative emotions, all right? So what's going on? We are internalizing narratives. The power of social media, is, it, it shoves us, you know, thousands of, of, of these different narratives, and we feel like we're missing out because we're not participating in all these narratives. And so what we can do is we can say, you know what? For the last 10 minutes of the day, before I fall asleep, I can not be on my phone, so I don't be, I'm not inundating my mind with these narratives, and I can replace that with reading the Bible. That's just a suggestion, all right? Read the Bible with other people. You know, if you absolutely can't read the Bible, and if it's hard for you to get stuff out of the Bible, I encourage you to read the Bible with other people. You know, it's amazing that, uh, so many things that are done alone are often much better when done with other people. You know what's better than eating? Eating with other people. Right? You know what's better than camping? Camping with other people. You know, same thing with reading the Bible. You know what's better than reading the Bible? Reading the Bible with other people. You know, when you read the Bible with other people, you get all these different perspectives. You get all these different insights. Plus, like, you can't just gloss over it. Like, when you read on your own, you can, like, read through and comprehend nothing and you can just say i just i saw words all right but when you read with other people and they ask you what did you think of the passage then you can't then you can't just you have to think about it right reading the bible with other people forces you to reflect on what you read forces you to internalize what you've read and so quick plug if you're not in a community group check one out there's a lot of reading the bible all right so number four here's another one read the bible to be transformed this is the last one. The goal of the Bible, uh, the, the goal of reading the Bible is not just to be a Bible nerd. Okay, the goal of reading the Bible is to be transformed. You know, my tendency is to be a Bible nerd, and I think a lot about that one passage where Jesus, he's talking to these religious leaders, John 5, and he says, you study the scriptures, you think you'll, you'll find the words of eternal life, but they test about me, testify about me, and in me you have life. And so I think about that because these folks, they were Bible nerds. They read their scriptures. They meditated on the scriptures day in and day out, but they missed the point. They weren't changed. And so, um, and James also says something like this. James, the book of James, says that the Bible is like a mirror. You know, and what happens when you look at me? You know, this morning, I woke up. I didn't look at a mirror. I showed up at church today, and then VK said, hey, your hair is messed up. Because I didn't look in the mirror, right? And so I had to go to the bathroom and had to put water on my hair. All right, so what happens when you look at a mirror is you become aware of who you are and where you fall short and what your issues are. 
and then you respond to seeing yourself, right? Um, imagine you wake up and you look in the mirror and you go, wow, I have ketchup all over my shirt and I have bed head hair. Guess I'll go to school now or guess I'll go to work now. You don't do that. What you do is you, you fix, you look in the mirror, you become aware of the problems you have and then you address those problems and then you proceed with your day. And I think reading the Bible is similar to that. You read the Bible, you become aware of how you fall short, how you need to grow, and then you change as a result. Here are just some questions I like to ask myself to, uh, when I read the Bible so that I'm reading the Bible in sort of this self-transformative sort of way, all right? Um, how is God speaking to my life from this passage? How is God speaking to my life from this passage? All right, here's another one. How, are there characters, storylines, or emotions in this passage with which I identify? Is there a promise to trust, a command to obey, or an example to follow or avoid? Where is Jesus in this passage? And so these are just questions. I think it's, it's easy, you know, for those of us who are sort of intellectually wired to just read the Bible for intellectual attainment. But reading the Bible, and so reading the Bible in a way that we think about our lives and so we, in that we change our lives, it, it's not, it doesn't come naturally. And so I encourage you to think about questions like this when you read the Bible. All right. Speaking of Jesus in the passage, what's interesting, and I want to close on this, what's interesting about Jesus is that the Bible calls him the Word of God. You know, this is a phrase that we often use when we talk about the Bible. The Bible is the Word of God, and I think it's fine to use that. You know, I think gradually I've been using that terminology less and less because I like to use the phrase, Word of God, to refer to Jesus. Because, but it's interesting that the Bible never uses that phrase, Word of God, to refer to itself. And I think, and Hebrews 1 hints at this as well, if you want to read on your own, but the primary way that God has revealed himself and I think this is important for all Bible readers to understand. The primary way that God has revealed himself is not through the Bible, but it is through Jesus. The Bible is a collection of inspired writings that God has given to us. It's beautiful. It's amazing. But Jesus is actually God himself. Jesus is God saying, I'm not just going to give you a book about me. I'm going to give you me. And what Jesus did was he not only taught us how to live, but he died the death we should have died, and he, uh, he rose again in victory. And when that happened, he assured us of our place in his kingdom. He assured us that we would have this new identity, that we would break out of our cycle. And so the way we would get out, ultimately, from the first cycle of sin and into this new cycle of life is not just through reading the Bible, but it is through Jesus. Through the sowing of one act, Jesus reaped for us an eternal destiny. Just think about that for a second. You know, we develop habits by doing all these activities. And um, we do this so that we become, become like this, and we can be, have this character, we can have this destiny. And uh, we were stuck forever in the cycle of sin. And we had this eternal destiny that was separated from God because this is just who we were. But because Jesus came and he died and he rose again, through that one act of righteousness, Jesus reaped for us an eternal destiny. You know, and I think that's important because, you know, if God had only revealed himself through the Bible and not through Jesus, then all we would have is just a list of things to do. It's just every day we look in the mirror and we see we fall short and we just can't fix ourselves. But 
because God revealed himself through Jesus, then we don't have to go that path. We don't have to be too ashamed or too condemned or too afraid. We can say, Jesus died for me, he rose again. I can say with confidence that this transition from death to life is a reality. I'm not just pretending, it's real. We are truly transformed. And so the Bible alone cannot change us, but, we, but the Bible through Jesus changes us. And that's what makes all the difference. So I just wanna encourage you, you know, as you think about 2024, is it 2024? Yeah, it is 2024. As you think about 2024, I just want to encourage you to think about what kind of person you want to become. Think about what kind of character you want to have, what kind of destiny you want to have. And think about the habits you currently have. And think about what habits you want to leave behind and what habits you want to develop. We only got one life here, and uh, we're either going the right way or the wrong way. And so I just want to encourage you. Think today, just spend some time today. Think about what you want to do, what you want to change, the person you want to come, all right? If it's reading the Bible, make a plan, ask someone uh, to keep you accountable, share it with someone. Um, let's do that together, all right? Let's pray, and then we'll close. The worship team will come back up. Father, we thank you so much for this time you've given us and uh, this opportunity for a new year. Uh, God, I praise you just even for these, uh, these seasons and these changes and these regular reminders you've given us to ask ourselves hard questions. Um, I pray we'll do just that today, that we'll ask ourselves questions to challenge us, to refuse to just stay in the status quo so that who we are yesterday is who we are today and who we are tomorrow is who we are today. But God, I pray that you give us the inspiration, the motivation to want to be who you designed us to be. Uh, God, we recognize the path there isn't easy. It requires change. It requires breaking out of our status quo. It requires leaving behind things we might enjoy doing on a day-to-day -day basis. But I pray you give us the ability to ask those hard questions and to do it, to follow through, to make those changes because of Jesus. We thank you that we don't do this alone, we don't do this out of our own power, but we do this with the confidence that change is possible because it was purchased through the cross of Christ. We thank you for Jesus' one act of death and resurrection and how that has granted us life and transformation. We pray that we would live out that transformation in our lives through the habits we develop. We pray this in Jesus' name, amen.